Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. John 10, 27, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. That's the foundation verse that we've been going off of for this series, and therefore we can hear his voice. He went on to say, and I know them, and they follow me, praise God. And that's what we want to do, amen? I said, amen. amen. I want to go back to another verse about being led by God. If you don't know here, and I've mentioned this before, Psalms 22, Psalm 23 and Psalm 24 are prophetic psalms. They're prophetic. Some of the psalms are prophetic. Relationship, just like the book of Isaiah, there's prophetic stuff in Isaiah, as well as other parts of Samuel, other parts of Old Testament scriptures, even in the context of what we know Proverbs has, there's some prophetic things there. All through the Old Testament, at times, there's prophetic aspects of the Bible declaring things to come. And in Psalm, if you did not know this, Psalm 22 was a prophetic statement, the whole psalm, about Jesus coming, about the days of Jesus coming to die for us. Psalm 23 is actually prophetic of where you're living right now. What we're about to read is a prophetic psalm of what's available to every person on the planet born again. You don't just read Psalm 23 as an Old Testament you know, context of a scripture as it relates to the Old Testament. No, this is a prophetic about me and you. So we need to take to heart everything Psalm 23 says because it is prophetic of our day. You can go study all this later. If you go read Psalm 22, 23, 24 in order, you'll see this. Psalm 24 is talking about when we leave here and we're caught up with the Lord. So Psalm 24 is yet to be fulfilled. That's a prophetic a psalm to come. 22 has been fulfilled. It's all about Jesus relating to what he would come and do for us and walk out for us. The, once, he was, once he fulfilled what was needed, Psalm 23 comes. Say, that's me and you now. So when you read this psalm, don't look at, oh, it's Old Testament, all oh, that was back then. No, this is for today. This is you and me right now. And you can see that by just reading these psalms. Verse 23, the Lord is my shepherd. So when did this start happening? The moment that the first person got born again on the planet, we began to walk out in the church age this very scripture. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not what? So we can be born again and know him as our savior, but once he becomes our shepherd, what, what's the truth about the fact that he's become our shepherd? We're his sheep. Meaning what? We're being led by him. So this is referring to the fact that you and I can now be led by the shepherd. And if we are led by the shepherd, guess what? I shall not want. Another context of that word in the Hebrew says, I'll not lack. You know why people lack? They're not led by God. Thus saith the Bible. If the Lord's my shepherd, I'm his sheep. He's my shepherd. He's leading me. He's guiding me. I'm submitted to him. What did he say? I shall not want. If I am in want, what does that mean? I am not following the leading of the shepherd. Why does it say the Lord is my shepherd? Because again, he could be your Lord and not your shepherd. Come on. Come on. Do you understand that? Yeah. See, how do you get born again? You call upon the name of the Lord. You make him the Lord of your life. 
That's initial submission to the very light that he's offered you, the opportunity to get born again. But once you do that, guess what you need to do now? You need to learn to follow him. You need to learn to let him be your shepherd. So the Lord, say the Lord, is my shepherd. I shall not want. So if I'm in want or I'm in lack, that means I'm not following the leading of the shepherd. Verse 2, notice this. He makes me to lie down in what? Green pastures. So this again is talking about an aspect of provision or prosperity or blessing. Because if you think about sheep in relationship to what we know he's referring to in a sense of a, of a, pic, a picture for us to walk out. What do sheep need? They need green pastures. They need a place to go graze. If they have green pastures to graze in, they produce wool. They, they become successful in what they're to do. So he makes me lie down where? Green pastures. He leads me, underline that. He leads me. What does he do? Leads me. Where? Beside the still waters. Now, now again, you can't just say, well, see, he leads me. He, he does if you're listening to his voice. If you learn how he leads you and you learn how to follow that leading, then that's true. And if he's leading you, guess what he does? He leads you beside what? Still waters. Now, the, the Hebrew language here, and you can actually see this even in a center column reference Bible, this actually refers to a place of rest. So here we are again talking about rest. Why? Because when I'm led by God, what do I walk in? Rest. You don't have turmoil inside. You're, you're not stressed. You're not frustrated. You're not fearful. You're walking in rest. The reason Christians don't walk in this place of rest here, remember we covered this a couple services ago. All through the book of Hebrews chapter 4, it talks about the fact there's a rest for the people of God. If I'm walking in rest, I'm not fearful. I'm not afraid. I'm not frustrated. I'm not stressed out. I'm not worried. Why are, so, why are so many Christians walking in all of that? Because they're not following his leading. If Jesus is leading you, guess what? You are being led onto still waters. Meaning what? That actually, again, in the Hebrew says, a place of rest. A place of rest. How do I know if God's leading me, Pastor? I'm going to tell you how you know if God's leading you. Because you are walking in a place of rest. You're not walking in a place of turmoil. Uh, again, understanding worry, fear, frustration, stress, all that simply means I'm not being led by God right now. I'm not being led by God. If I'm being led by God, I'm, I'm walking in this place of rest. Three, he restores my soul. Now, the soul again, referring here, because this is already talking about him being our Lord, our, him being our shepherd, the soul referring to mind, will, and emotions. So who restores our soul? Jesus does. What is Jesus? The Word. The Word. So it's through the Word that our souls get restored. Your soul didn't get saved, unbeknownst to a lot of Christians, sadly. Your soul didn't get saved when you got born again. Your spirit did. Your soul has to be restored, renewed. Your mind, will, and emotions have to be renewed. Your soul is not the real you. Your spirit man is. It has a soul, mind, will, and emotions. That's got to be renewed. But guess what? Guess who restores that soul? The Word does. Jesus does. Amen. Notice what else he said. Another leading. You ready? Yes. He leads me in paths of what? Righteousness. That means he leads me in the paths that are right. Amen. If he's leading you, he's never going to lead you wrong. God's never going to lead you wrong. He's always going to lead you in what's right. He's always... Now listen, what's right doesn't mean that it necessarily looks right to you. Like we've already talked about. You got your ways, God has his. You have a choice. I can continue to do my way or I can choose to find out God's way through his leading and I can walk in what he has for my life. His way's higher, his way's better. 
So if he's leading me, what's he leading me in? Right paths. Say right paths. Paths of righteousness because you're already made righteous. If he's your Lord, you're already born again. So this is talking about paths of righteousness, meaning paths of doing what's right. He does it for what? His namesake. What do you mean? He loves you. He cares about you. He wants you to do what's right. Walk in what's right. Verse 4, yeah, yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though in this life we face all of what is truly compromised of death that came as a result of sin, which is the works of Satan, even though I'm walking through it, so I'm walking through it. What does that mean? It doesn't have to accumulate on me. I don't have to be caught up by it. Because death here, as I've mentioned before, the word death always refers to a type of separation from. you got to define what it's from. Well, death here would be separation from this life that God has for us to walk in, which is a path that's right, which is a path of rest, which is a path of what we know as Zoe life. So even though I'm going through the valley of the shadow of death, guess what? I will fear no evil. Why? Because you, Lord, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. His rod, the rod of God, his staff. Rod of God means what? So if you want to figure this out based on our series, here you go. Rod refers to the word of God and the actual staff refers to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. You use the staff as a shepherd to guide sheep. You listening? The rod of God is something that's referring to the fact that when you actually have God's word, you've got the rod of God. How does God lead us? Through the word and the witness. What's he referring to here? The word and the witness. So again, he said, I have no problem with with evil. I have no fear of evil going through this valley of the shadow of death. If I'm doing what? If I'm walking out what the word says and what the witness says. Your rod and staff are going to do what? They're going to comfort me. If I'm walking in the light of the word, I'm going to find comfort. If I'm walking in the leading of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to find comfort. Verse 5, you, notice this, prepare a table before me where? In the presence of my enemies. Well, I got enemies, Pastor. It doesn't matter. Even though enemies are all around, if you'll follow God's leading, guess what you do? You'll sit at the table of provision. Right in the midst of your enemies. You'll have everything you need. I said, you'll have everything you need. Your presence, notice again, excuse me, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with what? So this refers to the fact that he even helps us to anoint us with his presence to empower us. And therefore, our cup what? Runs over. Verse 6, surely, surely goodness and mercy shall do what? Shall follow me all the days of what? All the days of my life. And I will dwell where? In the house of the Lord what? So if I dwell on the house, why would I dwell on the house of the Lord? New Testament, right where you are today. Where are you today? In the house of the Lord. Who dwells in the house of the Lord? Who, now dwell doesn't mean you visit once in a while. Dwell means you're there every chance you can get. The, every time those doors are open, man, I'm waiting for a pastor to open those doors so I can get in God's house. You listening? Who is it that does that? Who is it that does all these things? The one who is following the voice of their shepherd. So all this application is referring to those who are being led by God. If you're being led by God, you'll experience everything this psalm promises. Everything this psalm gives you reference to, you will experience as a child of God. I guarantee you, all you got to do is one thing, learn how to follow his voice. 
Learn how to be under the direction and leadership of your God. Amen? Yeah. Go back to Romans 8. All right. Romans 8. When, when you look at Psalm 23 now, never forget, that's a psalm prophetic of the day you live in. It's not automatic just because I'm born again that the Lord is shepherding me. He, he clearly said, I'm going to lead you into rest. Well, a lot of Christians aren't walking in rest. Why? They're not, they're not being led by God. They're not walking in green pastures, prosperity. They have lack. They have lack. But the first verse says, if he's my shepherd, I have no lack. Because I know who's leading me. I know who's guiding me. And he takes care of me, provides what's needed, praise God. I have no lack of peace either. I have no lack of joy. If I lack joy or peace of these things, I'm lacking what? I'm lacking submission to the guidance and leadership God provides. So I'm going to reference this again, and I'm going to keep saying this. If I have to say it a thousand times every service, I'm going to keep saying it. Christians keep thinking God leads them every other way than the way God said. Without even thinking about it. Without even thinking about it. I was talking to somebody today as we got in the conversation and we talked about what we're going to get into. It's part of our message tonight, actually, as we uh, already prepared in my heart by the Lord. But as we got into this conversation, it's amazing how many times we think of things that we believe God has led us in or is leading us in in which the Bible does not say God leads us that way. So the goal for me as a believer isn't to be concerned about how do I find the still waters? How do I find the green pasture? You don't have to worry about that. God will lead you to them. You listening? I'm not looking for the green pasture. I'm not looking for the still waters. I'm just following the shepherd. You think about a sheep back in their day because they had to take them all over different places in the country to actually get them to green pastures and get them to still waters. Those sheep went different ways, different places all the time. They're not looking for, well, where's the green pasture? Where's the still waters? You know what they're doing? What are they focused on? They're focused on one thing, listening to the voice of that shepherd. See, I've taught you this before, but when a shepherd, and still today in parts of the country where they do this, a shepherd would go into what's known as a sheep fold, but he would just call his flock. Multiple shepherds would bring their sheep into a fold at night, into a perimeter fold to actually be better better safety for their sheep to protect them from the wolves. Because now you got multiple shepherds that can sit around that wall at night to guard off the the wolves to keep them from getting to the sheep. But in the morning, what do you have to do? Lead them back out to green pasture. Lead them out to the still waters. Amen? Amen? And what would they do to do that? All the shepherd would do is go open that gate and start calling the sheep by name, start singing to them, whatever. And guess what they'd do? The only sheep that would come out were the ones that knew that shepherd. Now, how did they know that shepherd so well? They were used to following him. They knew his voice. And the voice of a stranger they would not follow. So this is what you and I are supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be so familiar with the leading of God that we know his voice and we know when it is God and we know when it's not God. But to do that, we got to make sure we're doing this the way God said. Romans chapter 8 again. I want you to go to verse 14. Romans 8 verse 14. For as many as are led by external circumstances. By as many as are led by an open door. By as many as are led by a closed door. By as many as are led by other believers, tell them what to do. By as many as are led by what they want to do, even though they think it's of God. Nope. By as many as are led by what? The Spirit of God. These are the sons of God. Sons here refers to one dependent upon God. 
If you're dependent upon God, what does that mean? I'm submitted to the shepherd. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the ones dependent upon God. 15, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Now, why does he start talking about this right after being led? Because he's going to show you how you're going to be led. He immediately begins to talk about after verse 14, in verse 15, your spirit man. Why? Because that's how he's leading you. That's the way he leads. No other way. In the New Testament, he leads you no other way. There are things we have to understand about the New Covenant, New Testament, as opposed to the Old Covenant. Why? Because that's an Old Covenant, and there's things we don't do according to the Old Covenant anymore because we're now under a New Covenant. This is what the Bible says under the New Covenant, how God leads us. How many want to walk in Psalm 23? So what do you got to do? Learn to be led by God. You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So there's no fear, there's no worry, there's no torment in my spirit anymore. And therefore, my spirit is a safe guide if I learn to follow it in obedience to the word of God. Amen. Verse 16, the spirit himself does what? Bears witness with our spirit, in this case that we are children of God. So I'm going to say it again. How does God lead us in the New Testament? I want to keep saying it, keep saying it, keep saying it. There is no other way. There is no other way, according to the Bible, proven through the New Testament Scriptures, proven over and over again throughout the New Covenant as to how God leads us. God leads me. Say that. Say it again. Say, God leads me by the Word and the inward witness through the Holy Spirit. So he uses the Holy Spirit through his word and the inward witness to guide you. Always those two. And he always does so initially by the word because anything that he leads you by the witness is going to line up with the word. I'm going to show you tonight, you could have ministry opportunities. You could have opportunities to talk to people, share your faith with people. Are we supposed to walk down the street and share our faith with everybody? No. God didn't even, excuse me, Jesus didn't even talk to every individual. You listening? The disciples did not. Why? They were led by the Holy Spirit. There's people God doesn't want you talking to. You listening? If we're supposed to talk to everybody, then Jesus would have stopped and talked to everybody. Paul would have stopped and talked to everybody. But they didn't. Why? They were led by the Holy Spirit. Say, my God leads me. Come on, by the Holy Spirit, through the Word and the witness. That's what we got to follow. That's what we got to follow. So he does this by bearing witness, verse 16, with what again? Our spirit. The word will bear witness with our spirit, and the inward witness will bear, uh, uh, bear with our spirit. Be a co-witness with us. Amen? So that phrase again, the spirit bears witness with. Say with. That's a co-witness. That's a co-witness. By spirit will know, and the Holy Spirit will confirm. And we saw that on Sunday night. Go to 2 Corinthians... 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Turn over ahead to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. So let's talk about tonight, significant to what we need to learn, how God does not lead us. Seeing how God does not lead us will help us understand how God does lead us. Probably the most significant use amongst Christians as a statement 
as to how God leads them. How many of you, let me word it this way. How many of you believe in your past, believed in your past? Let me put it that way. How many of you have believed in your past, God has led you at times by an open door or a closed door? But you know what? It wasn't God leading you that way. God doesn't use open doors. God doesn't use closed doors. There are only four references, if I'm correct. There's no more than five. I think I got it right. There's only four references in the Bible talking about God opening a door or even anybody asking God to open a door. Now, the, the, every time you're going to see this phrase, as we'll touch on it a couple times, in relationship to a door, the word door means opportunity. So that, break, that begs the next, next question. Uh, does God lead us by opportunity? Does God direct us by opportunity? He does not. He does not. God does not direct us by opportunity. Because that means whatever opportunity I have available to me that I would think would be of God, I'm going to follow it if I think that it was God obviously giving me that opportunity in relationship. Well, the opportunity is there. Why would I not take it? So that would be the same as saying, I have opportunity walking through my life every day to share the gospel with everybody around me. Am I supposed to do that? No. Because not even the disciples did. See, some of you are already looking at me like that cow looking at a new gate. He doesn't lead by opportunity. He can give opportunity, but you got to find out, is it really him or not? This is what you got to define. An opportunity that's available to me does not mean God gave me that opportunity. He may have. But the way I'm led is not just because there's an opportunity. God does not lead us by opportunity. The word door means opportunity. If he leads you by opportunity, that means wherever a door opens to you, you would say God's leading you into it because the door's open. If the door's closed, God doesn't want me to go that way because the door's closed. I have a question for you. The devil opens and closes doors. What if God wants you to go somewhere the devil doesn't want you to go? He's going to close the door. So a lot of times Christians don't go the direction God wants them to go. You want to know why? Because they think God leads by opportunity. They think God leads by open and closed doors. God doesn't lead by open and closed doors. I'm going to say it again. How does God lead us? The Word of God and the inward witness through the Holy Spirit. There's nothing in there that says by the Word of God or the inward witness and opportunities. No. How does he lead? The word of God and the inward witness. What if I have an opportunity? I got to find out, is it in line with the word and do I have an inward witness? Is this God? Because it may not be God. So God does not lead. I'm going to keep saying it all night. God does not lead by open doors. God does not lead by opportunity. God does not lead by closed doors. God does not lead by closing opportunities. God can give opportunities. But we got to find out, is that God? Yes. That's right. Satan comes as an angel of light. Yes, he does. He does. And so he'll give opportunities that look really good. Right. You know how many people have left their church and gone off and moved somewhere else because of an opportunity of a job? Yes. Right. I've got an opportunity to make more money, to have a nicer home, to have a nicer car, to have all this stuff in the context of the world, but none of that has to do with your spiritual development or your spiritual growth or your spiritual life on the planet. That's all natural stuff. Well, surely God opened the door, really? 
You don't think Satan, knowing that he could mislead you, wouldn't give you such an opportunity? Well, Satan would never do anything for me to get more money. Are you kidding? If he knows you serve money, guess what he can do? Dangle money in your face and just draw you wherever he wants to go. He'll tempt you with things of the natural. What is money? Part of the natural world. There's no money in heaven. I said, there's no money in heaven. Are you listening? See, there's nothing of the natural that God dangles in front of you to say, come on, this is a direction I have for your life. Come over here because you're going to make more money. Come over here because look, look at the house you're going to have, the car you're going to drive, look at the people you're going to have, the friends you're going to have, etc., etc. Except you're leaving out one part, and that is number one, you haven't even looked at anything spiritual about that decision. Number two, you haven't even taken time to find out, is this God or not? When you look at stuff in the natural only, I guarantee you, what are you going by? You're not going by God's leading. God doesn't lead you by the natural. How does God lead you? By your spirit. He does not lead you. This has got to be so drilled into us, I'm going to tell you why. Because we so easily default to being led in ways that God doesn't lead us. And think it's God. Are you still here? You could have a job now and choose to take another job just because it pays more. Have you even taken time to talk to God and look inward to say, God, is this you? Do you want me to take this job? Maybe he does. Maybe God's providing the opportunity. You don't make the decision just because there's an opportunity. That is not how you get led. Well, you can. You can make the decision, but there ain't a verse in all the Bible that says that's how God leads you. How many really want to be led by God? You got to do this the way God said. It's not based on open and closed doors. So let's touch on a couple of these verses that people take and they actually use them in a way to say, well, see, God leads by an open door or a closed door. No, he don't. There's not a single verse that says he leads by open and closed doors. When you go to the Bible, primary verse we just read in Romans 8 is to how God leads. How does he lead? By, the, by his witness, bearing witness with what? Your spirit. There ain't no door involved in that. That's right. You look at the door and you look to the inward witness. Yeah. Listen to me. You look to the door and you look to the inward witness. If a door's open, you look to the inward witness. You don't look at that door and say, must be God. I want you everybody to look at that door over there like it's an opportunity opening up to you. Look over that door over there. Point at it. Point at it. Point at it. Say, that doesn't mean that it's God. Just because the door may be open doesn't mean it's God. You don't go by open and closed doors. Who else can open and close doors in the natural? You're going to find out Satan is called the God of this world. I have a question for you. How many of you think there are more people under the influence of the devil in the world system than God? How many, how many would think that? Okay, so how many of you think that the devil has a hard time influencing people, therefore, to do what he wants them to do? Anybody think that that would be hard for him to do? So if he's got all these people under his influence, who happen to be people also that give Christians jobs, and do other things, if Satan wants to mislead you, take advantage of you, guess what? All he's got to do is take one of these people under his control and give an opportunity available to you. And you think, oh, wow, this must be God. 
Well, I happen to know that this preacher in this pulpit told me this, and this happens to be right. Even Satan, the Bible says, has his own preachers of righteousness who seem right, but they're his. They belong to him. They're not even God's, but they sure sound right. You want to know everybody's sitting under t- teachers tickling their itching ears today? You want to know what they're being led by? They ain't being led by the Holy Spirit. What are they being led by? The devil. They're being led by Satan's uh, workers. And they don't even know it. See, deception is so powerful. The problem with deception is you don't know you're deceived. Otherwise, you wouldn't be deceived. If you're not deceived, obviously, clearly then you don't have a problem. But if you're deceived, guess what? You got a problem. Why? Because you don't know it. Or you wouldn't be deceived. You listening? Seduced is different. When you get seduced, you know what you're doing is wrong. Deceived, though, you could be walking out something of an open door thinking this is God, and that could be deception. That could be, I so want you to get a hold of this night. The Holy Spirit told me this afternoon, he said, you don't let off of this all night long because I have tons of Christians, even still hearing you teach this, who still think God leads by opportunity, and I do not. I do not lead you by opportunity. You look at every situation in your life, every opportunity, everything you are going to decide in way of decisions of how you're going to live your life, what you're going to do, where you're going to go, and you know what you're supposed to be doing to be led by the shepherd? You know what you're supposed to be doing? Looking inward. Look into this word. Come on. First of all, does it go contrary to this? If it goes contrary, if I'm doing anything to take me further away from the Bible, from Christianity, from church... And I keep thinking it's God because I'm getting more money, more stuff, etc. There you go. See, it's all about what you have in the natural. It's not about what God wants to lead you in. Yeah, but I'll have more. That's the, that's the deception of Satan. Come on. Come on, come on. What did we just read in Psalm 23, 1? If the Lord's my shepherd, I won't lack. Isn't that right? Now, does that mean, therefore, whatever situation I have lying before me that has a bundle of money has got to be God? No, it does not mean that. Why? Because God don't lead you externally. He leads you internally. And the way he leads you oftentimes may not even look like to you a better privileged opportunity, but it could be. If it's God, it is. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. You still with me? Shake your neighbor and say, I hope you're awake tonight. Praise God. So here's one of the places this comes up. Paul said in sec- of the four or five places it's in the Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. Paul said, furthermore, when I came to Tros, watch this, to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord. Well, there you go, Pastor. See, God was leading him by a door. It didn't say that. Paul didn't say God led me here by an open door. It didn't say that at all. What did it say? He said, when I got to Troas... When I got to Troas, what, did, what happened in Troas? God opened to me the opportunity to share the gospel. It wasn't the open door that showed me where to go. God had already led me to Troas. Now that I'm in Troas, guess what God has for me to do in Troas? Preach the gospel. So the, the door here is opportunity. So God, while I'm in Troas, guess what God did? He opened up the opportunity for me to preach the gospel. He didn't lead him there by that. He didn't lead him by that. He wound up there because he was led by the Holy Spirit to be there. Yeah. And once he got there, of course, then what did God do? Opened up the opportunity for him yeah. to preach the gospel. Yeah. That's all it means. Right. So you got to understand this open, closed door thing is a huge problem today in relationship to people still being misled. I'll ask it one more time. How many of you have ever in your past 
actually felt like God was leading you by an open or closed door? I have. But you know what I've learned? That ain't true. Aren't you glad, aren't you glad God's gracious? But we can't go keep going forward in ignorance and learning now what, how many want to walk again fully led of God? Then you got to do this the way God said. God will not, say God will not, lead me apart from the way he says he will. He never will. He don't violate his word. He don't lie. So how's he going to lead you? Through the word and the inward witness by the Holy Spirit. So this is referring to the fact that once he was in Troas, notice, to preach Christ while he's there, of course, why would God send him there and not give him the opportunity to share the gospel? It would be ridiculous for God to take this preacher, Paul, tell him to go to Troas, get there, and then not give him an opportunity to share the gospel. So once he gets there, what does he do? He opens a door. Meaning what? He gives them opportunity, gives him opportunity to do what? Preach the gospel. So did he lead him there by that? No. I hope you're listening. Did he lead him there by that? No. no. He was already led by God to go there. And once he got there, opportunity became available. Amen. Right? So God doesn't lead us by opening closed doors. Go to Acts 16. So since we see Paul talking about this, we'll go back and pick up where we left off here a couple services ago, remember we talked about this, actually I think Sunday night, when we talked about this being led by God, three times it talks here as the believers, as we're relating to the decisions they were making about the New Testament church, it seemed good to them. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. It actually comes up here uh, multiple times in Acts 15, if you look at it, 22, it pleased the apostles. The phrase please means it seemed good to them. It seemed good to the apostles and the elders to write this letter and send it to the churches. Verse 25 in the letter, it seemed good to us. Say, I got to listen to my seamer. What's your seamer? Your spirit. Your spirit man. 28, notice here. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. There's the co-witness. So not only do we have a witness in our spirit that we believe this is God, we have the co-witness of the Holy Spirit confirming it. What does the Holy Spirit bear witness with? Your inner man. Your spirit man, the real you. What seems good to you, if it's truly of God, and you're being led the right direction by your spirit, will also be good to what? The Holy Spirit. And so they wrote this letter. Then you come down here after the writing of the letter in verse 34 of the same chapter, and we find out here as Silas and others were fixing to head back to Jerusalem, notice verse 34, however it seemed good to Silas to do what? Remain there. Why? What happened after this? Barnabas and Paul got in this big argument and they split ways and therefore Silas was sitting right there waiting to help Paul out. God already knew what was going to go on. That, that story is so powerful to explain to you. God already knows what's in your future. God already knows what's going to happen. God knows people that will bail on you. But you know what? If he can get others to listen, pay attention, he'll prepare people to fill their place. Are you listening? So he prepared Silas. Silas remained there. Barnabas split. And now Paul and Silas throughout the New Testament are going around preaching the gospel. 
So we come to chapter 16. So as Paul and Silas set out to do what he had talked about doing, going back to the cities where they had previously been, strengthening those cities, preaching the gospel, notice what happens here. Chapter 16, verse 1. Then he, Paul, he came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him, so he took him and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region for they all knew that his father was Greek. As they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees which we had read about before in the letter by the apostles and the elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were what? Strengthened in faith and increased in number daily. Verse 6, now when they go to leave there, now they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, underline it, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit, to preach the word in Asia. Who was forbidden? Paul and Silas and his crew. Who forbid them to go? The Holy Spirit did. So I have a question for you. Are we supposed to share the gospel with everybody we come across? No. Nope. Are we supposed to go every place where we think we're supposed to go to share the gospel? Nope. Paul thought they were supposed to go to Asia, but you know what he found out on the way? This ain't it. He ain't leading us this direction. Would Asia had received the gospel? Oh, I'm sure they would have. Is that where God wanted them at the time? No, he didn't. No, he did not. What if they'd have gone on anyway? They could have been killed. They could have lost their life. Wouldn't God protect them? He will if you obey him. They all, these guys all wound up martyred at some point. They, he'll watch over you and protect you if you'll obey him. Can I get a better amen? Not like they didn't obey him because they were willing to give their lives as martyrs. For the, for the gospel. So verse 6 says they were forbidden by what again? Tell me out loud please. Now if you want to look this up in the Greek writing. And it actually says it this way in the voice translation. Here's the wording. They sensed the Holy Spirit telling them not to go. They sensed the Holy Spirit telling them not to go. Was Asia an opportunity? Yes it was. Yeah, it was. They had opportunity to go everywhere. Didn't Jesus say go into all the world? Sure he did. Does that mean I just go wherever I want? No, it doesn't. Does that mean I take whatever job I want? No, it doesn't. Not if you're led by God. Amen. You listening? Asia later hears the gospel. So it's not like God doesn't want to hear the gospel, but guess what? It ain't time for Paul and Silas to be there. there. There is an issue, folks, with timing with God. You can miss out on things God has for you because of timing with God. It, there, there's things God has to line up with other people, etc., etc. And a lot of times we can miss out on what God has for our life because we weren't where God wanted us when he wanted us there. Please don't be one of these Christians that says this. Do not say this. If you say it around me, don't get upset because I'll correct you immediately because I love you and I care about you. But don't say this. Everything happens for a reason. Do not say that. That phrase that people use all the time, every, well, you know, everything happens for a reason. You know what they mean by that? Here's what they mean by that. It don't matter really what I do or how I live because everything's going to happen for a reason. No, it won't. No, it won't. Not the way you're saying that. Right. Meaning as if God's sovereign in the sense that he just controls everything. Oh, okay, he controls everything. So if he controls everything, then he's the one that controlled the very ones to fly their planes into the trade towers and kill all those people. No, he's not a killer. No, he didn't. The devil did. Well, what happened to God's sovereignty? Nothing. What is God's sovereignty? There's nobody more powerful than God. But guess what God did in the earth? He gave man a free will. 
And he gave literally Adam and Eve a lease on this earth. You are literally the controllers of this earth. What did they do? They gave it to Satan. What did Jesus do? Got it back. Who did he get it back for? The disciples. We don't any longer have to fear Satan nor let him control us. We're walking through the valley. I don't have to give in to it. I don't have to give in. All, all I got to do is let who lead me through the valley. Let Jesus lead you through the valley and you're not going to lack. Why? He got it all back for you. Any good amens on that? So the literal translation says here, they, again, very clearly, they were following the leading of the Holy Spirit. They sensed the Holy Spirit telling them in verse 6, don't go. Don't go. So they obeyed. Now, how did they know not to go? Did Paul pray for, you know, for three days fasting and prayer here? I mean, you could, but that's not what he did. How did they find out? This is how God leads. What you have to do is you have to get your mindset on what you believe. What you believe. What you believe is God's will, not yours. You got to go forward with thinking, well, what you believe is God's will. And as you take steps towards that, what are you looking for? What's going on inside? Do I have a constraint? Do I have an agitation in my spirit, man? Or do I have an absolute peace? Right? John 14, this God will do what? He'll give you perfect peace or he'll agitate your spirit if you're going the wrong direction. What did they obviously get here? Agitation. What's going on with the witness in their spirit? He's agitated about it. This ain't right. This ain't. Guess what? It did not at that time seem. It don't seem good. Come on, all the phrases before it seemed good. Seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit. Guess what? This did not seem good. Not in their spirit. Seemed bad. Now, they're following the leading of the Holy Spirit, therefore. Seven, after they had come to Mysia, they tried then to go where? To Bithynia. You know, I, I've used this for years, but I don't mean he did this. I certainly don't mean by any means that he did this. But it's almost like going through our alphabet because they didn't use ours, you know. Let's go, let's see. First place, start with the A's. Asia's close by. Let's go to Asia. Well, that didn't work. Uh, get, let's try a B city, Bithynia. I'm just making a joke. They didn't really do that. But it's, it's kind of like funny that all of a sudden then they try to go to Bithynia. Notice this. So they tried to go where? Bithynia. Now why were they trying to go to Bithynia? Why were they trying to go to Asia? To preach, the gospel. to preach the gospel. To obey what God told them to do. But does that mean that's where God wanted them? No. no. But how do you know? Take some steps. Right. Take some steps. Don't take a big old leap. Just take some steps. Yeah. So they tried. They tried. Say they tried. They tried to go to Bithynia, but guess what? The Spirit did not what? Now, this doesn't mean the Holy Spirit showed up like the donkey to the prophet and said, you ain't going any farther, because that's not how he works in the New Testament. What did they have in their spirit again? Agitation. This isn't right. Paul knew it. This don't seem good. The further they got going towards Bithynia, the more in his spirit he knows this don't seem good. How many of you have ever been walking through something as a believer and it's like the further you get into it, man, the more you just all of a sudden didn't even realize at the time. But it's just like, man, this just don't seem good. You know what God was trying to do? Stop you. Holy Spirit was trying to stop you. How many times in my life as a young believer I pressed through those things and just went ahead and did it anyway and then found out later, oh, that wasn't God. And it wasn't God's fault that I walked it out. You know what? You want to know why it was? Because I wasn't listening. Wasn't following his leading. So, verse 8, passing by Mysia, they then came to where? Troas. And a vision, where did they go to? Troas. Where did they go to? What did he say over in 2 Corinthians chapter 2? When they got to Troas, what did God do? He opened up a door. He opened up an opportunity. 
this one is of God. Why? They clearly had a witness that it was. Notice this, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. Man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying what? Come over to Macedonia and help us. So in Troas, guess what he gets? He gets an actual understanding from the Holy Spirit of where the opportunity is available and where he wants him to go. Not just because there's opportunity, just, but because what? Because he's following the inward witness of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to do what? What did they sought to do? What did they do? They sought to go to where? So in the process of, sotting, of seeking to go to Macedonia, what do you think they now get from the Holy Spirit? They get a peace. This seems good. The closer they got, the more peace they had. Notice this, concluding that the Lord, concluding what? That the Lord had called us to preach the gospel. Well, they went by a vision. Let me help you. That vision came. They started walking that way. But how many know if it would have been the wrong vision, if it would have been the devil and you having some pizza the night before, and you're listening to the Holy Spirit, guess what the Holy Spirit would have done again? Constrained them. We don't go by visions. I said, we don't go by visions. He got a vision, but then they did what? They sought to go. So they sought to walk that out. And they followed the inward witness. Any good amens on that at all? So how does God lead? Not by opportunity. Not by opportunity or closed opportunity. Or the way you want to say it, open and closed doors. Go back to 1 Kings 19 where I was at, where I goofed up the other night. But I'm going to, this was the verses I was wanting to get to in this message. 1 Kings 19. Say, praise the Lord. So I'm going to show you God does not lead by external circumstances. When we talk about external, you can talk to most believers that have ever been taught to some degree about this. And if you ask them, does God lead by external circumstances? Oh, no. He bears witness with our spirit. Okay. Uh, Do you believe that God leads you by opportunity? Oh, yeah. Wait a minute. I thought you just said God doesn't lead by external circumstances. But see, it's so easy for us to fall into this thinking that that's how God leads. But he doesn't. I said he doesn't. How does God not lead? Opportunity. Was opportunity in Asia? Oh, yeah. Was opportunity in Bithynia? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I have a question for you. Did Jesus go preach to the Gentiles while he was here? He did not. He focuses his time on the Jews, just as God sent him to do, right? Was the opportunity there? Sure was. Why didn't he do it? It's not what God wanted him to do. Just because there's an opportunity doesn't mean it's God. You got to follow the word and the inward witness. He had a word from the Father. You go to the Jews. I've sent you to the Jews. You're going to go to those of my chosen people first. Doesn't mean Gentiles are less than. No, we've been all grafted in by the blood of Jesus. Aren't you glad? We're all equal in the eyes of God. God's got no favorites. But he was fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. 1 Kings 19. So here we have the story of Elijah who's escaping from Jezebel. Anybody know what happened right before this? The challenge with the prophets of Baal. So all these prophets of Baal who are trying to take advantage of God's 
uh, servant here, Elijah, they said, oh man, we're going to cry out to our God and we're going to worship our gods and they're going to come and show up and prove to you that we truly are serving, uh, you know, these mighty gods. And Elijah said, go for it. So they did. Nothing happens. They, they, they came up with an idea. We're going to create a sacrifice. We're going to put, you know, wood on this altar and all this kind of stuff. You go call from your gods, call down fire. And if they, if your gods start a fire for you, then obviously your gods must be who they say they are. But they, they did all kinds of stuff. Hey, they cut themselves. You want to know why people cut themselves? Demons. They cut, they did all this stuff. But you know what? No fire. No fire. Now after they're done, what did Elijah do? Hey, bring some water over here, boys. Not just a little. Bring a whole bunch. Dump it on that fire. Why? Because I'm going to show you that ain't just, you know, dry kindling and somebody just happened to walk by and sneak a little spark in there. They poured so much water on it, filled the trough around it with water. The area around it with water. And then what does he do? He calls upon a very person who we know is the Lord God Almighty. And what does God do? Fire comes down, consume that whole sacrifice. Could you imagine seeing that? I was on that mountain in Israel where he called down that fire from heaven. And I mean, that consumed the whole... And then what did he do? He had them go seize all the prophets of Baal and kill every one of them. Who were they prophets for? Jezebel, one of the most wicked women of the day, who was married to one of the most wicked kings of the day, Ahab. So, verse, uh, chapter 19 of 1 Kings, verse 1. So Ahab then tells Jezebel all that Elijah had done. He goes back and tells Jezebel, man, not only did he call down fire, but he killed all your prophets. And also how he had ex- executed all the prophets with the sword. Verse 2. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow, about this time. In other words, I'm about to kill you, boy. You, you, better, you, better, you better scat because I'm going to come after you. I'm going to take your life. Verse 3, when he, saw that he, when he saw that he arose, he ran for his life. He went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and, he, and left his servant there. Now, sad thing is, this is where Elijah steps out of his true following of God ministry, and God now has to provide a successor named Elisha. Verse 4, but he himself went a day's journey, Elijah did, into the wilderness. Did God take him there? Did God lead him there? No, listen. How do we know God's not leading Elijah here? How do we Excuse me? He's led by fear. Does God lead by fear? No, he does not. No, he's not. God leads by inner peace, inner knowing. He's running because he's afraid. This ain't God leading him. This ain't God leading him. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came and sat down under a broom tree. He prayed that he might what? Die. This is certainly not God telling him what to do. And he said, it is enough now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. Why does he have to do this? Because he's got to get him now to where Elisha is so that he can now pass on the mantle, the anointing, to Elisha to take his place. That's what this is all about. Verse 6, he looked, and where is he at right now? Out in the middle of a wilderness. So he's got to get him to where Elisha's at. Verse 6, he looked and there by his head was a cake baked on, on coals, a jar of water. So he ate, drank, and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is what? It's too great for you. Where I need you to go, you're not going to make it. It's a 40-day journey. You're not going to make it without proper sustenance in your body to get there. 
not going to make it. I've got to now get you where God needs you to go because he's going to wind up replacing you with Elisha. He doesn't know this at the time, but this is what God's got to do to be able to get a replacement for Elijah. He now knows he's actually lost Elijah because he's allowed the fear of what Jezebel said to overtake him and cause him to run and flee. Verse 8, he arose, he ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights uh, as far as Oreb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave. God's still not leading him. He's still trying to get him where he needs him to go. In the midst of his journey, he finds a cave in Mount Oreb, and he spent the night in that place, which was very common for protection. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here? See, God wasn't leading him into the cave. God's saying, Elijah, what are you doing here? Why are you stopping You're not where I need you to be yet. Verse 10. So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts for the children of Israel, have forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Was that all true? It was not. Were all the other prophets dead? No, they were not. God even reveals this to him. Folks, in the midst of the times of your life when the enemy is trying to take advantage of you the most, guess what he tries to do? Isolate you. You don't need to pull away from the body of Christ. You don't need to pull away from your pastor. You don't need to pull away from godly leadership around you, other believers around you. It's what the devil wants to do to get you weak and get you in a place of compromise. This is the enemy driving him and what he's doing through fear. And God's saying, what are you doing here, son? I need you to get up and move on. No, you're not the last one left. Verse 11. And obviously, that's another aspect of what the devil does. You know, he'll make you think you're the only one going through this. Anybody ever been there? Anybody ever gone through something? Man, I'm the only one. I don't know anybody else going through all this stuff that I'm going through. Oh, let me help you. There ain't no temptation common to man that hasn't been, uh, all people haven't been tempted by. You're not the only one to go through that. Verse 11, so he said, God said, go out, stand on the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by. Once you listen carefully, don't miss what's about to be said here. What did the Lord already do? Pass by. He's already passed by. He's not there. He's already passed by. Notice this, and a great strong wind, a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. Before what? The Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. Did the Lord do that? No, he did not. Well, you know, God, this tornado come and tore down my house. God must have a purpose in it. No, God didn't send that tornado to tear down your house. God wasn't in the destructive wind. Are you listening? God wasn't, don't, don't fall for this insurance thing, you know, an act of God. God wasn't in the wind that destroyed uh, this rock. God wasn't in the wind that destroyed a person's house. Say, the Lord was not in the wind. Notice this, after the wind, what came? An earthquake. But guess what? The Lord was not what? Tell me out loud. Do you think God's causing all these earthquakes to destroy stuff in the earth? No, the earth is groaning. The earth has fallen. The earth has been affected by sin. You listening? Did God actually open up the earth in places in the Old Testament to take people out? Yes, he did. That was a form of judgment. That wasn't earthquakes. They just opened up the earth and swallowed people up. But we're talking about earthquakes here. An earthquake occurred at the same, right after that, an earthquake occurred right there after that, during that time frame. And guess what? The Lord was not in the earthquake. Say, the Lord... 
was not in the earthquake. You know why? Because that's not how he leads us. He don't guide through destructive means. This isn't a whack-a-mole God. You listening? Notice this. And after the earthquake, a fire. Now, yeah, our God's a consuming fire. But you know what? The enemy is also uh, destructive in the way that he comes as well because he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Well, my house burned down. God must not want me to live in that house anymore. God didn't destroy your house with a fire. He's not out to steal, kill, and destroy. After the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was what? He was not in the fire. Say, he was not in the tornado. He was not in the earthquake. He was not in the fire. Why? Because, oh, these are destructive things here. He's not, he's not using any form of destruction to guide, lead, or direct us in any way. It's not how he leads. Look at the last part of the verse of verse 12. Underline it. And after the fire, a still, small voice. After the fire. After the tornado's gone... After the earthquake's gone, after the fire's gone, God wasn't in those. I just told you, God wasn't in the tornado. Say, He wasn't in the tornado. He wasn't in the actual uh, earthquake. Say, He wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the fire. Say, He wasn't in the fire. But you know what? He was there. He had passed by Elijah. He waits for all this stuff to get done. And then He shows us, this is how I speak to you. How? A still, small voice. Inward Witness. What do tornadoes represent? All kinds of stuff external. Tornadoes, earthquakes, fires, in this in this set, what do they represent? All the stuff that's external. Is God in any of that leading me? No, he is not. Where's God leading me? Inwardly. With a still small voice. And this is what we've got to learn to hear. Because if you want to follow God, anybody want to follow God every single day of your life? Guess what you got to learn? You got to learn how to hear that inward leading of the still small voice. And it's rarely God, quote unquote, speaking to you as much as just bearing witness with you like we just saw in the book of Acts with your spirit, the direction he wants you to go. But you know what? It's a still, say still, still. Small, small voice. Your God's not small. But it's small in comparison to all the junk. Tom, I am speaking to you in the external world that you live in. But it's also what? It's a still voice. Be still, the Bible says. And know. Now, most translations say, be still and know that I am God. If you look it up in the Hebrew, here's what it says in the Hebrew. Be still and know God. You got to learn to get still if you're going to follow God. You have to learn to get still, meaning what? You got to still your flesh, got to still all your thinking, got to get your focus where it needs to be. We talked about this all day on Sunday. What's your mind got to be set on? Things of the Spirit. Why? Because that's how He reveals things to you. Is God going to lead you by circumstance? No. Is He going to lead you by an open or closed door? No. Why? He's not in the closed door leading you. I'm not saying He may not open a door or give opportunity, but guess what? We got to find out. We got to find out from that inner voice is this God or not? Say, I will not. Come on, like you mean it. I will not follow God by external leading because it's not God. I don't know how he leads you, folks. You don't look at opportunity. 
Closed doors, open doors, and say, must be God. Got to be God. I've been praying. I've been praying, Pastor. I've been believing for something to happen, and this opportunity came. It's got to be God. Let, just because you were praying. By the way, if you were praying, and you should be, and you were praying out loud, guess who else heard you pray? Right. The devil did. And guess who's going to try to get you still misled a wrong direction of a direction God doesn't want you to go? The devil is. See, the thing about the devil, and I'm going to go back to that phrase earlier, right? People saying again in relationship to, you know, stuff that happens in the earth, you know, well, everything happens for a reason, man. And just like as if God does it all. Let me help you. I'll tell you why stuff happens. You want to know why stuff happens? You want to know why stuff happens? It's a simple truth. You ready? It's a law. Anybody know what law it is? It's called the law of sowing and reaping. New Testament. Whatever a man sows, that he will reap. You want to know why what happened happened to you? Because at some point you sowed that in your life. Well, I've had bad stuff happen to me. It don't mean you may not get challenged with some stuff in life. But guess what? You have the authority to deal with it. You have the name of Jesus. Come on. If God's leading you, he's not leading you in defeat. He's leading you in what again? Triumph. Second Corinthians 2.14. But is he leading you? Come on, somebody. See, if he's, leading me in, if he's leading me in triumph, what does that indicate? Battle. But I don't lose. Facing battles does not mean that I'm not walking out what God has for my life. But guess what I don't do? I don't lose. And see, the opposite is true. The opposite is to say, well, you know what? If I'm facing a really hard time here, and this, this was something I heard just recently. If I'm facing a really hard time here, stuff's coming against me. Boy, it must be a sign something really good's about to happen. You don't even realize what you just said. I have friends of mine that still to this day, great ministers, I love them. They do a great work for God. But all of a sudden, stuff starts breaking down on their vehicles, on their equipment, whatever. And it happens, you know, let's say several times in a row, whatever, things break down, whatever. And they make these statements. Boy, I know something good's coming, man. I know something good's coming. All this bad stuff happening, something good's coming. What do you mean by that? I'll tell you what they mean. They think the devil's trying to stop them from what, what good is to come. Well, you know what you just said the devil is? You just said the devil's all-knowing. Without even realizing it. If the devil's not all-knowing, he don't know what's coming down the pike. If you're thinking the devil is doing all this stuff because he knows something good's coming, you're saying he's all-knowing. He's not all-knowing. God's all-knowing. These little foxes <coughs> spoil the vine. These little deceptive lies get into the body of Christ. And then we allow that to adapt into our thinking of other ways. And now we start thinking, well, you know what? All hell's coming against me. Boy, I know God must really have something great for me lined out. Praise the Lord. You might not be giving the devil credit for it, but I got a word for you. Just because all stuff's coming against you doesn't mean that something big's about to happen that God's got planned for you. No, you're in a fallen world. By the way, what have you been saying? Because you reap what you sow. Some of the bad you might be reaping based on what you've been saying to yourself and believing yourself. You're still here. So how do we know in relationship to the Bible, as some people say, well, you know, everything happens for a reason. No, it don't. It happens because of what you did. Praise. You listening? No, I can't control what other people do, but you know what I can do? I can control how I react to it. I can choose to forgive and walk in victory. Come on. I can choose to know whatever anybody tries to do to come against me. They're not my problem. They're not my enemy. The, the enemy is the devil, but guess what? He's already been defeated. 
If I know the truth of God's word, then guess what? He ain't all-knowing and he can't stop me, praise God. He can only stop me if I let him deceive me. He can only stop me if I let him seduce me. Keep me from walking in what I have as a child of God. But if I'm led by God, how can he stop you? Got a word for you. He can't. That was two of you. That was weak. If God's leading you, guess what, guess what Satan can't do? He can't stop you. Name one person in the Bible the devil could stop that God was leading. Not one. Doesn't happen. I said, doesn't happen. All I got to do is be walking by the leading of the Lord. And guess what I know? Devil, I don't care what you try to throw at me. It's a joke. It's a joke. Why? Because you, you're not going to stop me. You're already defeated. I'm just going to keep using the name of Jesus and just putting you in your place. Right? Demons try to stop Paul. What Paul do? Use the name of Jesus. To the degree that one demon, who the seven sons of Sceva cast out, knew him personally. Tried to cast out. Remember? Remember the, the seven sons of Sceva that tried to cast a demon out of a guy? And the demon spoke. What did the demon say? Well, Jesus I know. Guess who had dealt with that demon before? Jesus. Paul I know. How do you know Paul? Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. How do you know Paul? Not just he, not, wait, wait, not just he's, not just because he tried to stop him. You know why I knew Paul? Paul knew his authority. Can I give you basically a wording of what we would say today if that demon spoke in the way we would relate, relate it to the relationship of what happened today? I'll tell you what that demon's saying. You ready? I've been spanked by Jesus and I've been spanked by Paul, but who are you? I've never seen you before. And those demons jumped on those boys because guess what they didn't know? They didn't know the authority Paul knew. Could the devil stop Paul? No, he could not. Why? Because he was led by Jesus. And even when demons tried, guess what he did? Being led by Jesus, he used his authority. He spanked that demon. Get out of my way, boy. Come on, somebody shout amen. Amen. See, the devil can't stop you if you're led by Jesus. Are you kidding me? He doesn't lead you in defeat. He doesn't lead you to trip up and fall. He leads you in victory. He leads you in triumph. Any good amens tonight. But how does God lead? He does not lead last time. He does not lead by open and closed doors. He does not lead by opportunity or closing down opportunity. God could give you opportunity, but that's not how he leads. You have to do this, church. You have to look at every decision you make in your life that is an issue with an opportunity available, and you don't make a decision until you know. You listening? Just because I have an opportunity, first of all, does it go with the word? You know how many people try to step out in ministry were never called? And they didn't have leadership that confirmed it. And they could have saved them and their families a lot of heartache and a lot of trouble and a lot of deception to the body of Christ had they just gone by what the Word said. But they didn't. They they felt, hey, I'm doing a good work for God. I'm going to go out and step out and do what God wants me to do. Oh, has anybody recognized that call in your life of leadership in your life? Well, no, but I don't need them. Oh, that's not what the Bible said. I got verses that say contrary to that. They're not your Jesus. Well, I'm obeying Jesus. Well, if you're obeying Jesus, Jesus anointed your leadership. He's going to confirm your leadership to call of God on your life. Amen. Thus saith the Bible. You still with me? Yes. So what do we got to do for every opportunity available to us? What do we got to do for every closed door? God, do you want me to go that way? I don't care if it looks like I can or not. Do you want me to? See, what you and I have to do is we got to focus our mind on spiritual matters. 
How do I do that? By looking at the circumstance. Because I'm not looking at the door and saying, God, I'm going through that door. See, now you're looking at the natural. But if I look at a door, this is how I'm looking at the spiritual. If I look at an open door and my mind is focused on the things of the Spirit, what am I going to do with that open door? God, I ain't taking a step at all until I know for sure whether this is you or not. I'm looking inward. I'm not looking at the door. I'm not looking at the opportunity. If you're looking at the opportunity, you're looking at the wrong thing. You're looking at the natural. I don't look at the opportunity. Are you listening? I have to focus my mind on the things of the Spirit. How do I do that? The opportunity is presented. I take my mind. I set it on what? What do I set it on? Not the opportunity. I set it on my spirit. What's my spirit telling me about this? As I think about that, what's my spirit saying? Do I have the witness or not? Well, I'm not sure. Take one step. Don't jump in whole hog. Because as you start taking steps towards what you think might be something that you actually may want to do, guess what? If you're looking inward, guess what the Holy Spirit's going to do? He's either going to confirm with peace or he's going to give you an agitation and say, "Uh uh-uh. No, 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 no. I know the opportunity's there. That's not where God wants you. Not what he wants you to be doing right now. Amen. Thank you, Tamara. I got to quit. Don't follow opportunities. I said, don't follow opportunity. You have to learn to look to the leading of the inward witness. Do I have a witness? Do I have the witness of the Holy Spirit? Does this line up with the Word of God? And do I have an inward witness as well? The co-witness of the Holy Spirit. Not in my brain, in my spirit, man, that this is God. Or do I have an agitation about it? Do I have a peace Try to have a change. Well, I don't know, Pastor. Start walking that out. Start taking some steps. And as you do, look for that inward witness. Make sure it lines up with the Word of God. Because as you're first learning, I wouldn't be doing this with major decisions of your life to start with. You listening? If you'll start doing this on a daily basis with little decisions you make, you'll start finding out whether it's God or not. Can I get a better amen? Well, let's see. I've got an opportunity to go to McDonald's or... Taco Bell or <laughs> you might think it's crazy but I'll guarantee you what God wants to lead you in every step you take if you don't think that's true why would, why would he not want to teach you with something small you know what I'd rather miss I'd rather miss going to the wrong restaurant than miss making a huge decision that could affect the, 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 the outcome of me and my family moving forward you listening so people think that's silly that's crazy no it's not it's learning how to le- hear God it's learning how to be led by God Stand your feet. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.